love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm your host, Haley Chura. I'm joined, as I am every week, by my co-host, Alyssa Gadeski, marathon trainer extraordinaire. Let's hear it. What is your workout for the week? Can we start the, let's just start the podcast this, this way. So my workout of the week this week, I should have come, you'd think I'd have known that was going to be a question. Um, oh, I I had some fast 200s to run this um this week. So this was a session that we originally created during one of the Tucson training camps. Um and I say we uh my coach Hillary Biscay and her and she runs training camps. Uh they used to be out of Tucson, now they're out of Southern California, but uh one of the days is often a track session with the group and so one year one of the camps we had the session and it was like you do a lot of 200s by the end you do four 200s going on like 75 seconds so as fast as you run then you get the rest until a minute 15 and then you go again um so you do four of those and then you do an easy 400 and then three 200s same interval easy 400 two 200s, one 200, easy 400. And then you go to three and then you do three 200s, two, two, th- two 200s, one 200. And then you do two, one, and then one. It makes a lot more sense if I had like a whiteboard and I was writing it out for everyone. It um, sounds like a swim But it workout, ends up being, I think, bit. 20 200s. It is. So yes, <laughs> you do. People often are like looking at it and we're like, yep, you're going like on the interval, like as if you were in a pool. That's how I usually describe it to people uh, when I give it to to athletes like virtually. I'm like, that's your send off. That's when you go. So like run faster so you get more rest. Um, so 75 seconds, a minute 15 to run. What can I ask what you were holding? So the, you also, you know, you don't want to go like balls out from the start because you'll, you have to run 2200s. Like you shouldn't be able to run your top, top speed for 20 of them. Right. So you kind of like the four is like, um, you know, you're kind of building the pace as you go four, three, two, one, then you go back to three, two, one, then you go two, one. So every time you're around those like two or one, you're at your like max speed. So, um, I started at 42 seconds with the, the four and then, by the end of the 20, like for those fast ones, I was um, down to, I ran a 35, Haley. I was really proud. Whoa. Okay. I want to ask. I know. Can you believe other, it? No, I'm just saying that's fast. But I want to ask, what what kind of shoes do you wear for this? So I, I typically do wear like the, my Nike race shoes, like the one, the four percents that like, you know, are the like, or the, I guess, is that the ones I'm wearing? I'm wearing the the pink ones, the ones you wore in CIM. Yes. Those are the 4%. Is it the next iteration the, of 4%? The alpha, no, okay, it's the, yeah. it's the, <laughs> no, I get confused. It, the next percent the, um, maybe. Oh, you're right. It's the next percent. Vaporfly next percent. That's what you're wearing. Yes. Okay. So Nike, that's, Vaporfly, well, that's typically what percent. I would wear. But I actually had to stop wearing them for my fast stuff, Haley, because I was relying on them a little too much. And I find that those shoes actually, if you run in them a lot, I get like calf, um, my calves just get really tight. And then I start to feel all these other little niggles happening in my body and stuff like that. So, um, I have put those shoes to the side. They will come out for the race. But, um, then I've been running, I've actually been running in Reeboks as my like fast shoe of choice right now. Interesting. I asked because I do see people training in the vapor flies or the alpha flies. And I wondered if people did that because of recovery. Um, they are, they're fairly expensive shoes, like $250 a pair, but I guess that's not that much more expensive than any shoes. I spent $150, I think on my last pair of training shoes. So, um, I was curious if there was a recovery benefit or if it was just the benefit was like feeling fast. I think it's the feeling fast. And ever since, I think it was on our 
podcast when we interviewed Sarah Bishop and she talked about her she wears the Nikes quite often and she was saying she runs like hundreds of miles in them and wears them all the time and she thinks that they're great and they just like stay fast shoes so that's what I kind of tell myself I I am like debating if I need a fresh pair for the race but I'll cross that bridge once I know there's a race for sure and speaking of races I hear you have an actual race happening this weekend yes so Haley it's race week for me this is super exciting I am going to race my first adventure race. And so this has been a long time in the making because I was signed up for um, a rootstock racing two rivers adventure race that was supposed to happen last Memorial Day weekend. And our listeners might remember our interviews we've had with um, Abby Perkis, who's come on to talk about adventure racing. She was also our Title IX expert that we brought on. And um, so that is still happening. It's been postponed from 2020 to 2021. But I am a team with my boyfriend, Matt, and we signed up for another one in the meantime while we're waiting, hopefully to get a little practice. So we have a nine hour adventure race on Saturday in winter in Virginia, and it's going to be so cold and so wet. So I'm already like thinking all of the warm thoughts I can. I think they just sent out an email that said, obviously it depends on your navigation skills and how you choose to get between checkpoints, but you can expect between about 30 miles of biking, mountain biking, and um, about 10 to 12, I think they said, miles of trekking or running, however you choose to do it. So nine hours, they have us like staggered across a couple hours for start times. And then just um, like the pairs of teams, kind of a handful start at a time every 20 minutes, I think. And we're in a state park, so it should be plenty spread out and COVID friendly. And there's they're doing actually tomorrow night the like race briefing um, virtually, which I actually hope that's like a thing that might get adopted after COVID because I do like the option of having the race briefing like at an evening time the week before the race where you can just broadcast it like stream it onto your tv and like sit down and pay attention and you're not like super nervous about the race or like flustered trying to get gear ready and half listen right and like all of that kind of thing so I'm actually kind of hopeful that might stick around is it on zoom can you ask questions because that's one thing I do like about briefings is if you can like ask a question I do think well I I should say I think for I guess for like the pro racing and Ironman, I would like to be in the room actually, because I do think there are some discussions that need to be had and it would be best not to be virtual. But for this kind of thing, I think, you know, it's, it's more of like the informational I'm imagining to like make sure everyone kind of has like the big picture on things. So, and I, I think it's, I should look if it's on zoom or face, I almost want to say it's on Facebook. And in which case I bet you can just like type a comment question, you know? So um, I imagine there's going to be some way to ask questions. I'm that sure sounds convenient. someone will yeah. have to ask something. Yeah. <laughs> but Haley, speaking of races, there was a big race that happened this past weekend that uh, we were we were kind of texting back and forth a little bit about. That's right. Carla Molinero, who was our guest last week, she ran in the Hoka One One Car- or Project Carbon X2 100k in Arizona happened this past weekend and in case anyone didn't watch it it was fantastic but Carla like took off in the beginning she was leading for like the first half of the race ahead of you know athletes like Camille Heron who has won comrades and who I think Camille might hold the does she own the world record for the 100 mile on the road or I think she might I think but so. She, I think so. I mean, Carla went for it. She told us, she told us when we interviewed her that she was going to go for sub seven hours. The British record was like seven fourteen, So she didn't just want to break the British record. She was like, I'm going to demolish it. It was like, go big or go home. And, um, and it was fascinating because when we talked to Carla, it was about her 800 mile race, uh, across the entire continent of, or not continent, the Island of great Britain. But in this was so hundred K 62 miles was pretty short for her, but took it out, was going so fast. She did fade toward the end. She finished fourth, but, um, it was a fantastic race. And first place was Audrey, Audrey Tangay from France ran a 740. And I think they, the announcers were saying that it was her first ever road race she has never run like a even a 5k on the road and she started out with 100k and she won it was incredible I think she was also the one that they said it was her first time racing in the U.S. right so it's like 
she comes to the U.S. She is running a COVID event where there's basically like not a lot of spectators. They were doing their best to keep policy in place, you know, for that. And so she comes to the U.S., you know, shows up at this place, runs 100K with not a lot of, you know, fanfare on the roads, which she's not used to doing. It was, you know, just I wonder what was going on through her head <laughs> for those 100 kilometers. Right, because they're running this looped course, and she is a very, very accomplished ultra runner. Everyone in the race, I think it was only Hoka-sponsored athletes, most of their ultra runners who were there, and um, so she is an accomplished trail runner, but does not usually run on the roads, but man, she could do it, and Second place, first American was Nicole Monette. She ran a 743. She like came from pretty far behind and almost, I mean, if it had been like 105K, she might've taken the win. And um, I did an interview with Nicole's pacer, who is Sika Henry, who happens to be an amateur triathlete, a past Iron Women guest. And Sika, as we all know, is on the hunt for her pro card, but she took a little bit of time off the past, you know, pandemic time um, to work on her running and she is a Hoka sponsored athlete. So she got to run as a pacer as part of the Hoka project carbon X two race. So I did catch up with her and to hear all about it. And I have that conversation right now. The iron women podcast wants to give a huge shout out to Orca sportswear for their continued support in 2021. As someone who isn't a natural born swimmer, my choices for swim gear are super important. Orca has me ready to battle for every second I need in the water with the open water, triathlon, and swim run wetsuits. They also have safety buoys, goggles, cold water caps, and booties. You name it, they have it. The code IRONWOMEN15 will get you 15% off, so head to orca.com today and let's get ready to swim in 2021. Sika, welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and you just ran, as in just a few hours ago, you ran in the Hoka One One Project Carbon X2. And it's my understanding that Project Carbon X2 was designed to allow Hoka-sponsored athletes a chance to go after 100-kilometer world and national records. And as a Hoka-sponsored athlete yourself, you were invited as a pacer. So can you just tell us how the day played out for you? Uh, sure. I mean, even the invite came out of the blue for me as a, as a triathlete. So I'm like, are you sure you want me pacing ultra runners? But um, with the COVID and everything and the pools being closed, I started, as you saw, I started getting back more into running and doing distances, like longer distance races. So um, I think that's why they had reached out. They saw that I was doing all this extra running. But um, the day played out. So there were a ton of men. Unfortunately, there weren't that many women. Um, and that was only because a few of them had gotten injured over the past couple months, um, just putting in tons of mileage and stuff. So it, there only ended up being about six women um, and there happened to be six pacers. So we were each assigned a woman to pace. I was, pay, I was tasked with pacing Nicole, um, formerly Blazer. Her last name's now Nicole Mon Monette, I want to say. Um, she's actually a former 235 marathoner, but she's now a mom of three. So I think she's getting back into all this stuff. So um, we actually started out last. She wanted to go out super conservative since it was 100K. And um, at first it was like, let's not go out through the marathon faster than 310. So we took it out pretty conservative. But then as the race went on, she started feeling good. And she had even mentioned that she tends to do better as the race goes on. And I mean, she killed it. She absolutely killed it. We went through the marathon, I want to say about 306. And I dropped out at 28 and she just gradually worked her way through the field and she came in second. She was the first American across the finish line. So um, I'm just proud that I was able to serve, you know, <laughs> do my little part in getting her through that first bit of the, the race. And um, yeah, and surprisingly, I'm actually walking around like a normal person right now. Usually I'm just in pain. I can't move, but I think all of the running I've been doing has uh, my body starting to get used to it. Is 28 miles your longest run ever? No, I'm crazy. And I did a 50K run with a friend. Um, I think it was October, actually. We were supposed to do a 50K. We were supposed to do an ultra, but it got canceled because of COVID. So we did a 50K on our own. We used my driveway as the aid station and we made it 10.2. We did three 10.2 mile laps 
on and off sidewalks. I mean, it was it was so painful. <laughs> so we finished the uh, 50K in three hours and 45 minutes. And of course, when I finished, I was like, never again. I'm done. Never, we'll have nothing to do with the ultra life. And then here I am. Right. Never now, say never. <laughs> why 50K really prepared you for the Carbon X2 project. So yeah. What was it like pacing? Was this your first time ever being a pacer? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, my first time ever. To be honest with you, it was more difficult than I thought it would be. Um, I It was nice to not have the nerves and the pressure of actually performing. You know, like usually I have so many goals and I want to PR. So that was nice. I, I didn't feel nauseous <laughs> this morning. Um but it was more difficult in that I had to keep looking at my watch. Usually in a race, you don't look at your watch every few seconds, but I didn't want to mess up and I wanted to stay as steady as possible. So I kept looking at my watch and I had to keep checking behind me to make sure that I wasn't losing her or she wasn't kind of, you know, on my heels, like, come on, hurry up, hurry up. So, and I kept talking and trying to check in and see how she was doing. So it was really about giving her the best race um, experience possible. So it wasn't about me. So that was nice to take the pressure off me, but it was also difficult, like, you know, constantly checking my watch and things like that. Different kind of pressure. Did you prepare by previewing the course or like, did you do any special workouts to practice your pacing leading into this? Yeah, my coach, um, we knew that if there were going to, if there was going to be a group that no matter what I was going to be with the slower group. So I knew no matter what I was going to be anywhere between 705 and 720 pace. So my coach had me do tons and tons of long runs around those paces. Um, so yeah, I would say that. And then also they had uh, Hoka had us all hop on a bunch of conference calls over the past two weeks and they showed us the course. They showed us where all the aid stations were. So we were really familiar with it. And it also helped, um, now that it's over, we're allowed to say that it was on the same course as the Marathon Project. It was just an extension of that. So I watched the Marathon Project um, on TV. So I was able to get an idea of what the course looked like. I watched both um, at when they were streamed and I did recognize some of the air. Like I was like, maybe Arizona just all looks like this, but I'm like, I feel like I that road, but yeah, yeah, coincidence. Um, you mentioned that you'd been running a lot and you did just break three hours in the marathon last fall. You ran a 257. And mm -hmm. so I think hey, you went through the marathon mark in your your conservative 306, but that's still a pretty strong pace. So how did it feel to see a fast time like that on your watch and then also know that you're gonna keep going? Yeah. Well, when I had done the 50K with my friend, he had paced me through the marathon in 309. So it was, I mean, there's still a big difference between 306 and 309, but um, because I had done something like that before, it wasn't too shocking. And because we were so far behind everybody, it didn't feel that like, I'm like, all right, everybody else is going so fast. And then, you know, it's like the mental games too, knowing that I held 645 pace for a marathon in November and we're going, you know, 20, 30 seconds slower. That also helped me mentally. I'm like, all right, this isn't as crazy fast as I was going the other month. Did you get to watch Nicole finish second? Oh, oh, heck yeah. Yeah. You know, I was cold. It was fun watching Jim. I mean, I feel so bad. He missed breaking the world record by 11 seconds. That was fun. But um, uh, I wanted to stick around and definitely cheer on the ladies. Um, but you know, it's like when you finish, you're, you start getting cold, you're like hungry, you want to take a hot shower, but I'm like, nope, I'm sitting here. I want to see them come through. So to see her gradually keep moving up, um, you know, she was worried that she wasn't going to finish the race <laughs> beforehand. She was like, I hope I can just finish. I don't think it even crossed her mind that she might be first American. So to see that was pretty awesome. And only a couple minutes behind the race winner. Winner, I mean, yeah. I think yeah. only like four minutes and five tops behind the it winner. It ended up being a pretty close race. And you mentioned Jim Walmsley because they, you know, he did just barely miss that world, that men's world record. But I also wanted to ask, there was a moment that was on the coverage when he like was passing a group and you were in the group and he like ran into the fence and then he cut his shoulder and he had like blood rushing down his shoulder for the rest of the race. Did yeah. you see that happen at all? No, I didn't see him run. I think he was trying to get as close to the tangents as possible. And he cut it a little too close. The funny thing is, I was going to drop out at the fin where the fin we cross the finish line every lap. So I decided I was like, I'm going to go through the marathon and then I'm going to cross, I'm going to cross the finish line and drop out at round 27. But then all of a sudden 
all these drones came out, the cars and the pacers and the cameras and the, the huge clock. I'm like, what is going on? All of a sudden, it's Jim Walmsley. So I couldn't drop out. I was on TV. So I was like, oh, crap. Now I got to run, like keep running until they're gone. So they finally were out of view at like mile 28. So then I was like, all right, now I'm safe to drop out. But there's no way in hell I was going <laughs> to drop out like on t- live television. Uh, even when it's your job to drop out, that that is yeah. true. You, you looked great. It was. Yeah, you got a little extra airtime. I do want to yeah. ask, you know, this was part of this was testing out the new Hoka Carbon X2 shoes. What did yeah. you think of them? Uh, they're a great shoe. I do think it's an improvement from the previous model. Um, but I will say for the record, my favorite is the Rocket X. I know this was all about Carbon X2, but I'm going to be honest, even though I'm a sponsored af- athlete, I absolutely love the Rocket X. Um, I think it just depends on your gait, how your feet fall, like everybody reacts differently to shoes. So I would say test them out, try them all to see what works best for you. But um, the shoes were great. I don't have any pain, no blisters. Um, I do like the heel. Um, And yeah, I would say it's like a a stiffer shoe and it's more narrow than the previous model. But yeah, it's good. If if I thought I was going to get injured or I didn't like the shoe, you would not catch me running this many miles in the shoe. And we know you are typically a triathlete, but did you enjoy this kind of ultra distance multi-loop racing? I mean, you did one yourself and then you did one officially. Like, is this something we might see you do more of in the future? Uh, Hell no, Haley. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) I mean, I did say one and done before, but yeah, it's, it's the pounding is just, it's hard. If it was maybe on a trail, I would, I think I'd consider a trail uh, ultra, but the pavement, it definitely takes its toll. Like I didn't, when I dropped out, I didn't necessarily feel out of breath. I think I could have kept going, but my body was starting to ache. I was feeling it in my legs and my glutes. So, you know, um, it takes its toll. So now I, I don't know. <laughs> well, we appreciate your honesty. <laughs> yeah. If triathlon doesn't come back, then, you know, I, I got to find something. So uh, I'll figure it out from there. But yeah, this, this is not my thing. <laughs> Well, hopefully I get to see you in person at a triathlon before too long, but congratulations again on your, on your day and congratulations on being part of Nicole's incredible race. I'm glad you were out there cheering for her and, um, it was fun for all of us to watch at home, but good luck in your recovery. Thank you so much for following along and cheering for me. I appreciate it. We know many of you are working with limited pool time and schedules these days. Thanks, COVID. Is it over yet, Haley? No, I think we still have a ways to go, but we do recommend our listeners check out Form Swim Goggles. These goggles have a smart display so you can see the metrics you need in the moment. They even can show distance in open water swimming now. It's a great way to enhance your swim and maximize that limited time. Head to formswim.com to get your hands on these innovative goggles and make the most of the swim time you have. Haley, I think it's super cool that Sika got to have that opportunity and, you know, got to be a part of that event. And I think actually Sika had her like a sub three marathon goal on her radar as well. And she accomplished that in December. I think she ran a 257. So she was like, well, you know, able to to do that sub three. But I know that was a big deal for her, too. And I've been I did think about that as I was kind of thinking about, you know, going for it myself. And it's always inspiring when other women, you know, are like going for it too and able to do it. So, um, you know, she's been, she was part of the, the catalyst for me as well. Yeah. Join that sub three club, Alyssa project breaking three. I love it. Um, we do have a little bit of news, <laughs> a little bit lower budget than, um, the carbon X uh, project hundred K situation. <laughs> and a little bit shorter too. You get to stop at 26.2. I mean, you, you instead of going all the way to 62 miles, I mean, tw- that marathon seems short. But I, And I was watching a lot of the broadcast, just watching some of the paces and being like these, you know, Jim Walmsley's pace is like, well, I mean, just like well under marathon pace. And he's just like looking comfortable flying through. It's just it's it's crazy what different people's bodies can do. Yeah, I think, Alyssa, a lot of people are amazed by what you can do. But um, one of our sponsors has a little bit of news. Zelio Skincare 
has a buy one, get one free sale going on right now with their race relief. So this is their active recovery race relief gel, kind of a mentholated cooling uh, muscle gel that will help you feel very good after you run your 5k or your 100k or your marathon or your 200s anything will do or you could go for a bike ride and you might be sore so or shovel snow (laughs) it works for anything but two for one through um January 31st. So you have to act fast. Just a couple days after this comes out that this sale is going on. It's going on now through January 31st. And you can still use the code IRONWOMEN to get 15% off your order. So 15% off your order of race relief. Buy one, get one. You'll get two for the price of one. Um, Use that code IRONWOMEN at teamzilios.com. And Haley, we're bringing out the mailbag today. So listeners can always write in questions to our mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Haley, today's question comes from Andrea. She is writing in because she recently started taking a spin class a few times a week. She's done a handful of 70.3s in an Ironman, but always trained on pace and heart rate. So she's new to like the power concept. So she was just curious how power on spin bikes translates to triathlon biking. The power on the spin bike, she thinks, seems too high to be accurate. And sometimes it feels like she's kind of getting an assist from the spin bike. So uh, just curious our thoughts overall on how that would compare. And I used to actually do a lot. Like back before I was really doing triathlon too seriously I was a huge fan of spin classes I have to say um and I have gone to a few soul cycle classes in my time because my sister is a huge soul cycle fan and so sometimes at family holidays if I want to hang out with my sister that means I have to go to soul cycle so she can watch me and pretend like that she's the better athlete I think she likes to watch me like get confused with the dance moves that they do but I think Andrea is probably going to like one of the spin studios. I There's like Zoom cycling. I don't know. I guess they might be geographically kind of oriented where there's actual like power. I don't think I've ever been to one where I was like seeing my power data up ahead of me on a spin bike. Have you done that, Haley? I haven't, but I've heard of it. Um, I have heard of this and I've had people send me like the little screenshot and I do not think they were doing 900 watts. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if that's the kind of numbers that are put coming up, but it was like very big numbers for the power. And it seemed like very much higher than what I, uh, or, you know, a reasonable person would be doing on a regular bike with a more typical power meter. I mean, all power meters are calibrated a little different. You always have to take power with a grain of salt, but from what I've seen, it seemed like the spin bike was a little bit high, but I don't think that means it's a bad, it's not a bad workout. It just, you know, we just have to kind of like keep it in perspective. Yeah. I think the important thing there is to just remember it, you know, it probably won't translate number wise. If you get back um, on your triathlon bike and you have a power meter or you get a smart trainer or something like that, that you want to use in the future, um, like you shouldn't expect to, to, unless you are some, you know, have a lot more cycling abilities than you let on in this email. Um, you shouldn't expect to be pedaling at 900 Watts for very long on a, a typical triathlon bike, but like, it's all relative. Like Haley was saying, they're all, you know, power is power. So whatever scale the spin bikes for the studio you go to are on, as long as it's, it's the same week to week. Right. And the bikes are always calibrated that way. Then you can just create your own, like Andrea's power wattage scale. And that's what you go on. You know, like you have hit 900 Watts for five minutes before in that class. And then, you know, you want to shoot higher for it the next time or something, if you're using that as like a hard spin effort. Um, so just kind of keep it relative there and use the numbers to like motivate you. And I think, and guide you in terms of intensity that you're doing and things like that. But what the numbers are exactly, I wouldn't worry about too much. Um, and then in terms of, you know, I think you can just fit some of those spin bikes pretty similarly actually to, you know, uh, the bike you ride, whether it's a road bike or a tri bike for triathlon. So like the more you could kind of get the fit to be similar, I think would help. But, um, you know, I mean, who am I, I'm riding my road bike. Some days I ride my gravel bike. Some days I ride a mountain bike and my tri bike. So, you know, bike to bike, biking, spinning your legs is spinning your legs. And I think, if it's helping keep you like working out in the off season here, then it's great. 
Well said, Alyssa. It's a great training tool, especially if it keeps it fun. But thank you for the question, Andrea. And if anyone else wants to write in, our mailbag is ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We do have a couple other questions that we are getting to in the next couple of weeks, but send them in. We love them. And Haley, we have a really fun interview for our listeners today. Can you tell us who we talked to? That's right, Alyssa. This week, we talked to Nia Aboate, and Nia is the author of I Am a Triathlete, a children's book about triathlon. Nia herself is also a triathlete, and after she heard some shocking statistics about representation of people of color in children's books, she decided to write her own, which definitely makes her an iron woman in our book. Nia ran a successful Kickstarter campaign that brought I Am a Triathlete to life during 2020, and Nia tells us about becoming an author and her own triathlon journey. We'll have our conversation with Nia right after the break. This is Haley. I'm really excited to welcome a new Ironman podcast sponsor, Prevenix. Prevenix makes premium, clinically effective nutritional supplements that promote longevity, performance, and everyday health and also donates vitamins to malnourished children with every customer order. My current favorite Prevenix product is Joint Health Plus. The main active ingredients are clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, improve joint flexibility in seven to 10 days, and protect joint cartilage from breakdown during exercise. So whether joint pain has you moving a little slow at the door on your morning run, or you just wanna be sure you can keep the current pep in your step, Head to Prevenix.com and use the code IRONWOMAN15 to get 15% off your order. If by chance you don't feel any benefits, Prevenix offers a 100% refund, no questions asked. That's Prevenix, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com and discount code IRONWOMAN15. Hi, Nia. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, Haley. Hi, Alyssa. <laughs> Hi, ladies. Well, first, we really want to congratulate you because your book, I Am a Triathlete, just won the 2020 Best Indie Book Award for Best Children's Book. So I imagine you didn't write the book just to win awards, but does it feel good to win? It feels great. <laughs> it's, really, it's really been exciting. Once I saw that, I'm like, oh. <gasps> <laughs> I now have a gold sticker <laughs> for my book. <laughs> that sticker does mean a lot. Did you have any idea that the award was coming or was it totally a surprise? It, they did let, let me know like but right before the new year to say, hey, by the way, you won. I was like, but until they kind of announced it, I couldn't say much. So I sent out this, like uh, my birthday was December 30th. So I did this like video, like guys, I got some news, <laughs> but I couldn't share it until it hit their website. So ah. <laughs> that's super cool. Well, we're excited to be on the forefront of that news coming out this month too. So the book though, I am a triathlete follows the triathlon story of a young girl named Naya, which is the same name as your niece. And we don't think that's a coincidence because the real Naya was sort of the inspiration for the book. Is that right? That is true. Yes. She was definitely an inspiration. Um, she was there at my first triathlon. <laughs> she was bored out of her mind. Well, not bored, but you know how kids are. You, you know, you see the picture of my website. She's like, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as she's grown up, she is very athletic and she already swims, she already bikes, she already runs. And I just felt like if I could get her to the sport or in the sport that she would she would do really well. So I'm still working on that. You know, she's now a teenager, so she has other interests. But um, it's been exciting just kind of bringing her into this journey and having her um, kind of experience and understand and, you know, um, know what her auntie does. <laughs> and illustrations are a big deal in children's books. And you've mentioned in other interviews that the lack of representation of people in color in all children's books, not just sports children's books or triathlon children's books, but all children's books did motivate you. So were you able to work with your illustrator to make sure that the character of Naya and her depiction as a triathlete looked just how you imagined when you wrote her story? Yeah, that was really important. In fact, I had started with kind of um, a shop 
so to speak, illustrator, meaning you just go out to the website, you tell them what you want, and then they give it to a bunch of people to work on. And those first illustrations, I was I, I was really set back and really disappointed. And they really did not depict what I wanted to depict, the, the complexion, the hair, all of that. It was really struggling to communicate that the concept that I wanted. So it was very important that when um, my niece and people of color looked at the book, they could identify and see themselves. Um, and even my younger self, that's my younger me <laughs> in the book, you know? So that was very important. And Nia, the book is about a young girl becoming a triathlete, but it seems like it's actually about much more than, you know, just triathlon. So we don't want to give too much away in Nia's journey, but we do love the line when she says, today I'm a triathlete, tomorrow, who knows, maybe someday I can challenge the pros. So it seems like the pros here might be professional triathletes, but it also could be any kind of pro. Is that right? Yeah, you know, that line was really about aiming high, right? I'm a weekend triathlete, right? I love my sprint triathlons. I can get in there on the weekend. I can train on the weekends. And then, you know, a half a day of my morning is gone. And, you know, I've done my sprint triathlon, right? So, for me, you know, that that motivation is just how can you exceed, you know, um, what are some new heights that you can go? But you're right. The, the theme of the book is not just about being a triathlete. It really is about writing your own story. That's really what the book is about. <laughs> it's achieving something, you know, being a triathlete. Yes. And yes, you can definitely pursue being a pro, but also to write your own story. Like Haley and Alyssa, you guys have an amazing story. Write it, tell it, people need to hear it. And so really, that is really my main thing, but I kind of sneaked that in. <laughs> and triathlon and sports are such a natural stepping stone for finding kind of the confidence and other things to write that journey, right? And maybe go a little off script when you when you need to. Yes. <laughs> this reminds me of Sally Edwards, the great one of the great triathletes um, at the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. She challenged every single person in the room, every single woman in the room to write a book. And obviously, you've already done that. But do you agree with Sally there? I mean, is that something we should all be doing? I think we each have unique journeys. We have um, paths that um, can inspire people. And, you know, you go out here as professionals and you are doing things that other people are like, I, can I do that? Can I really do that? And for them to see your story and hear your story and identify with you, it just brings more people to the table, brings more people to the sport. So, yeah. Um, and, and I tell people now, more than ever, you're able to write your own story because you don't need a major publisher, right? Really, you put this book together um, and you can upload it yourself to Amazon. So <laughs> you don't need a major publisher to write your own story. So why not? I agree. And Nia, your Instagram account is at Nia the author, and it's full of photos of children reading your book. So have you heard about any potential future triathletes who've been inspired by Nia's story? Yes. Um, what's interesting is that the book has has really sparked, you know, I've talked to those who've done triathlons, right? And they're like, you know, it kind of made me cry a little bit because it's, you know, they identify with the story, the struggle a little bit of, you know, going from um, learning something and failing a little bit and then achieving. And some of them, it kind of hit them a little hard. And I was, I didn't realize that, you know, hey, a children's book could bring those emotions in people. And so that has been really rewarding to know that my story, people identify with it. And because it's swim, bike and run, which I love that it has that, you know, that, and that's why I like triathlons is that you have that variety of swim, bike and run. And I'm always like, oh, I'm improving in my swim, but my run, I got to work on. <laughs> 
<laughs> or my bike. I'm improving my bike. So I like that variety of being a triathlete. And so I think the story, you know, impacts people who like the sport of swimming or who like the sport of cycling or who like the sport of running. And they can also identify with the story. So I think overall, having people being able to relate to the story has been really exciting. And having husbands say, I'm going to buy that book for my wife, you know, having um, some of the other um, triathletes um, that I've been following, you know, reach out and say, that was a great book. (laughs) That has been so humbling to me. It's been very humbling. And you kind of alluded to this, but the real Naya, your niece, it doesn't sound like she's done a triathlon yet, but is it something that you think is still on her radar? So, well, I think with COVID, we probably could have got her there. (laughs) Unfortunately, (laughs) it was almost, I was almost convinced. (laughs) And then with the book, it was like, girlfriend, you know, you're going to have to at least try once. (laughs) So not yet, but we're working, we're working on it. Well, I have a feeling if it's not, you know, the the real Naya that you will have kind of a flurry of up and coming triathletes saying that the book had inspired them and played a part in that in that initial dream that they had. So we'll wait for those stories to be rolling in as well. But Nia, we wanted to talk to you because this is your first book, as we, we've said, and you published it off a successful Kickstarter campaign during a global pandemic in a year that was marked with protests for racial justice as well. So was it hard to find the energy to create and publish your first book during a year like 2020 was? No, I I think I was actually inspired more because this is my own form of getting the word out there, you know, sharing that minorities swim, bike and run. I can remember a video right after Aubrey, the the one guy who was jogging and he got shot while he was jogging in, in, in a neighborhood. And someone had did this video about, I didn't know black people ran. And I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> and I was like in the midst of, you know, with my book and stuff. And I was like, People need to know, <laughs> you know, and kids need to see themselves. And th- and that's really the challenge. And I've shared this on other interviews about the statistics of minority children's books. And, you know, that that says a lot when you when you can't see yourself or identify yourself in literature or in books. And I, I'm sure each of you have your own favorites or um, things that have encouraged or influenced you. And I just think it's important that um there are pictures and illustrations out there that depict people of color doing things that people don't think that they do, but they do <laughs> and love. <laughs> and and also to encourage other, you know, minorities to get out there and say, you're not alone. You know, um, there are other people out here who are been interested in the sport and um, there are um, people in the sport who will embrace you, (laughs) you know? So I think that is an important message as well. And what I'm finding is with the book, it's not only just about, you know, having a person of color identified is also here's a children's book about being a triathlete, like having children say the word (laughs) at a young age now, you know, someone sent me a video and I'm like, look at they're saying triathlete. Like, and some of them struggle with it, but that's okay because that gives them more exposure to the sport. And that I'm really excited about. The more exposure that people can have and know that it exists. I mean, I've really enjoyed it. Um, so it's it, it's kind of exciting to know that other people can get that influence from the book and plant that seed to have them explore it more. So that that to me is like, yeah. <laughs> Check. And what about a book tour? Because I feel like, you know, that would be a very common thing to happen when you have a book coming out. And with a race schedule, with races, triathlons happening, it seems like, you know, aligning with that could be a, a good venue for a book tour. But of course, in 2020, once again, the races weren't happening. So did you miss being able to go out on a book tour? Is that something we can still make happen? 
So I think it probably was a good thing because I, though I'm very outgoing, I'm still kind of an introvert. So <laughs> um, the attention that the book has garnered um, has been a bit overwhelming for me. <laughs> it really has to be honest. And so um, it has kind of allowed me to get better at interviews and talking to people. It has allowed me to, um, you know, be more welcoming to doing, you know, doing that and meeting people, the thought of that, because I do, I do want to be able to um, sign books and share um, this story with other people and meet other fellow triathletes as they compete. So that would be really exciting um, to see and to do. So yes, to answer your question, the pandemic was kind of a good thing a little bit because it's allowed me to ease into it, right? You know, all, all of this. Ladies, I'm going to be honest. When I wrote this book, I wasn't even going to have a web page. I, I, there was another um, person who's going to put it on their page and um, it didn't work out that way. And I ended up with a Kickstarter and then now I have a <laughs> web page and all of these things. And so None of that was planned, but divinely, pat, you know, path that this journey has taken me on. So I don't, I don't know if I've been um, prepared for the attention. I'm glad for it, and I'm excited for it. For it. So yeah, to answer your question, sorry, a long answer to that <laughs> is I'd love to do a tour and meet um, fellow triathletes and encourage other um, that others that are interested in the sport to come on board and try it. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I have like these memories actually of, I think, being in a, a Facebook group about women in triathlon and this book was brought up at some, you know, this was months ago. And then someone was kind of like, well, I got the book, but I don't know if she's really going to ever release it, you know, or public, like on a large scale, but let me talk to her kind of thing. And I think there was some stuff going on in the background. And then hopefully, you know, you, you did kind of get wind that this is something, but I love that you, you know, took it in and have been courageous in that and sharing that and finding a silver lining, I guess, in the pandemic to have the unroll happen at your speed. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of slowed it, it slowed it down a little bit, um, but, you know, it has allowed me to be focused and to, um, really be able to um, absorb all of this positivity and, you know, divine a plan to, you know, keep it moving. Cause I'm, I've really been um, humbled is the word for it. <laughs> humbled, <laughs> you know, to know that when you go out to Kickstarter, that um, I am a triathlete was the most funded and most backed um, children's triathlete book. I have to say that because it's they have all of these other children's books that were, you know, obviously have done really well. But from a triathlon standpoint, um, this children's book was the most funded and most backed um, children's book. So that is just like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm st I'm, I still can't believe it. <laughs> it is a beautiful story. And I do hope when the race is returned that we can find you at an expo and have you autograph our copies. It will, it'll be worth the wait, but we do want to switch gears here a little and ask about your own triathlon journey because your character, Naya, she finds out about the sport from a flyer in a library book. So I'm curious if you remember when you first learned about triathlon as a sport. Yeah, I do actually. Um, so I had, um, I had started running and um, as just a way to get healthy and be healthy. Um, there was a coworker of mine who had passed away and I didn't really know him that well, but I wanted to go and support because I thought this was a tragic thing. And he had done a marathon. And um, so when I went to his wake, they had the medal and he had done the Chicago marathon. I'm like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Um, it really inspired me. And so I started running and I joined a group of black girls run um, here in Milwaukee and I was running with them and then also um, started volunteering to host runs um, for ladies. And one of the ladies that was running you know, on a particular Saturday said she was doing a triathlon. And I was like, what is that? Who does that? <laughs> you know? And so she shared the information. I was like, 
I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, try my hand at that. And at the time, um, I wasn't a very good swimmer. I really didn't know how to swim. I knew how to float on my back from one end to the pool to the other. Um, but I, once they told me the distance and I practiced that, I was like, okay, we're gonna try to see if we can make this work. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it, that first triathlon was, was a challenge. It was really an emotional um, roller coaster of fighting back fear and, you know, facing that head on. When you start on the starting line at a triathlon, you have all of those emotions and um, for many reasons. <laughs> and what I found in life is just kind of showing up on that starting line. Um, makes a difference. And things are usually not as bad as you anticipate that they will be. And I've found that to be the case. And so every year I come back. (laughs) Which race was that that you always go back to? Oh, so now it's called Iron Girl and it's in Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. I believe it used to be um, Danskin. Like Danskin had a series. I don't think it's not called Danskin anymore. And in fact, I think some local people have kind of sponsored it. But yeah, so it's called Iron Girl. So that's a pretty good, cool name, first of all. Like I could I'm like, I'm Iron Girl. <laughs> and you know, you're most people don't know what that means. Like they really think it's <laughs> Iron Man. <laughs> so when you when you talk to them, you have to educate people. No, no, it's not, it's not that distance. <laughs> Sorry, it's not quite that distance. But they still are amazed at the fact that um you're doing a triathlon. Most people Um, And then what I've found is that I've been able to inspire other ladies um, to try the sport. You know, many who already had the skills of swimming, biking and running and just needed someone to say, hey, this is what you need for race day. Here's what's best to swim in. Here's what the route's going to look like. Um, Here's how best to train. And some of those um, just that information alone has has had ladies who are in their 60s and in their, you know, in their later years trying triathlons. And I'm just like, go girl, (laughs) go girl. And that always amazes me as well. Like even at the races that they, you'll have a 70 year old, you know, you'll have an 80 something year old, you know, still doing, still in the race. And that tells you that from, you know, one age to the next, you can still do um, this sport, which is encouraging because I'm going to be 80 out there doing my triathlon. Mia, you're, you've talked about, so you talked about joining Black Girls Run and Uh, You just talked kind of about like information sharing, right? In the acknowledgement section of your book, you include shout outs to several other online communities that you say continue to help provide supportive, encouraging, and safe environments. You include groups like Fitnatics, Iron Girls, Girls on the Run, the International Association of Black Triathletes, and Black Girls Do Bike. So I think it's clear that you, you, you call yourself an introvert, but you do like, you know, having training partners, having that group, having an online community these days is so important, right? Too. So how important has it been to you, I guess, to have like that set group, whether it's been for training or just for the support to get you in and keep you in the sport? I think once again, it's about seeing yourself in someone, right? So a lot of these groups help you see that, hey, there's a black girl out there biking in the snow. Oh my goodness. Oh, I could do that too. <laughs> like, you know, so I think, you know, a lot of the groups, they provide the safe environment of people who are out there doing it. That you're like, oh, I thought I was the only one, but here is someone else who has that interest too. And so that's the safe environment where you're identifying with someone that looks like you that are, you know, out there running and biking and, you know, doing all of these great things that inspire you to try it. And um, what I can say about groups like Black Girl Black Girls Run and Black Girls Do Bike is many of the ladies come to those groups and they see, you know, they are inspired. They see people like them, you know, maybe not as fit, maybe a little overweight running and biking. And um, they're inspired to just get out. And we found that many of these ladies go from, you know, just 
a bike that they bought from Walmart to, you know, these treks and these <laughs> full cycle bikes and triathlons, because now they're comfortable, you know, riding by themselves or riding in the street or, you know, and now they're comfortable going to other groups. Like they don't have to, you know, just be with black girls run or black girls do bike because they have that confidence in the skill level that they may not have had um, when they first saw the group or joined the group. So that I had to give them a shout out because they were a part of my journey, you know, of being exposed to people who were out there doing things that a lot of people in society say, oh, those, you know, <laughs> people don't do. And so I think seeing them and have, being encouraged by that makes a difference. It really does. It makes a difference. Nia, you mentioned biking in the snow because you live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Milwaukee was supposed to be the host of the 2020 USA Triathlon Age Group National Championships, which of course were moved to 2021. Can you tell us about the triathlon community in Milwaukee? I mean, are lots of people out riding in the snow? Yes. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say lots, but there are people who are cycling in the snow. And I actually, they used to host um, um, some of the national um, triathlons here in Milwaukee. And I used to go to the lakefront and see those. I mean, those were really large gatherings. And um, and what I liked about that is I could get on a site like um, Black Triathletes Association and say, hey, who's doing that race? And people like, I am. And I'm like, I'm going to come down and support and meet them. Like, here's someone from the site that I didn't know um, and seeing them, a person of color um, out there, you know, achieving it, you know. So I think um, I've been able to, you know, see some of that here in Milwaukee, especially when they were hosted in Milwaukee. And then they have a larger one. It's in a Madison as well. So yeah, there is a, it's a fairly good community. I think of people who are triathletes <laughs> um, and having it hosted in your city is also a benefit as well. Cause you get to go see people doing the things that, you know, doing what you enjoy doing. So that has been rewarding. You talked about the the Iron Girl race being a sprint distance triathlon. Yeah. And is that your favorite distance? What's, you know, can you sell us on the sprint distance? Sell our listeners on that one. <laughs> so um, I'm a marathoner, so I've done the Chicago Marathon. And I'm, I I can say this, you know, I'm an endurance girl. So I, I can run um, longer distances. It just takes me a heck of a long time. And um, I haven't been able to increase my speed enough that uh, my train, that have allowed me to fit training into a busy lifestyle. So it's really hard to go over anything over a sprint because I'm kind of slow. But, you know, if if it was open, you know, the the duration, <laughs> if that didn't matter, I would do it because, you know, hey, it could take me six hours or whatever. It wouldn't matter. Even when I was um, training for the marathon, I would spend like a whole day of, you know, like the, the training and the running and all of that. So that's that can be a little challenging just because I'm not as fast. And so the sprint is nice because, um, you know, the distances are manageable, especially for people who are beginners um, to come in and um train usually they can take a swimming course to get, you know increase their their swimming techniques um the biking is you know most people can bike you know you know fit 12 to 20 miles you know or whatever and then most people can you know um run a 5k you know or they can walk it and most sprints are made um the timing of them to allow you to like hey even if you can't run the 5k you can walk it if you really wanted to or needed to so and then you're finished by like noon and you can go have pancakes with your girlfriends and celebrate that you all have medals that say Iron Girl. Like, how cool is that? So, you know, I, that's one of the reasons I like the sprints. And um, prior to the pandemic, what I was attempting to do is go to other cities to do sprint triathlons, um, because once once again, when I started, I I. I wasn't a swimmer really. And the lake, um, I had a fear of the lake. I had not swam as an adult in a lake. And so um, different bodies of water often challenge me because, you know, once again, it's that fear of swimming. And, you know, although I've increased my swimming levels and I can do a flip turn, I learned that as an adult. So when I practice, I can be more efficient um, with swimming. But 
I think um, what the sprint allows you to do once again is the distances are manageable for beginners. And so, and then it also allows me to, I like that variety. So, so yeah, and because I'm kind of slow, it's harder to go, you know, to challenge myself to do other distances because that increases the training and the training time, et cetera. So nothing against the longer distance. I'm always like, yay. If I was a lot faster, you'd see me there. <laughs> Tell us about the the doing them in different cities there, though. Do you have like a, a bucket list or, you know, next up the city that you'll be going to to race in hopefully this year or whenever we can? I do not have a buck. I don't have a bucket list. Um, I, it, you know, I, it's really the bling. Um, sorry. <laughs> Who has the best medals? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us. Do you have the scoop? <laughs> If they have nice swag, I will be there at that sprint. And most times I like to drive because I like to have my own bike and stuff like that. And so I make it a triathlon vacation or bikecation or whatever. And so I did one in Michigan and then we did the Chicago triathlon uh, because I hadn't did that one and that was close. Why not do that sprint? And then on the year that we did that one, the water was so rough. They had to cancel the swim portion. Oh, so the plan was to go back to the Chicago try, um, let, you know, for last year. But eh. so we'll have to add that one to the list because it's it's so close. It's like right up the street from Wisconsin. So why not do that one? So, yeah. Nia, Black Girls Do Bike posted a great video of you on their YouTube page. And in it, you tease a second book that you're working on. And yes. this time, I believe the, bo- the book is about dragon boat racing. <laughs> So what is dragon boat racing? And can you give us any hints about this next book? Yeah, you know, so um, one of the things that have, you know, really propelled me, um, not only that, that I had this story about being a triathlete that I wanted to share to the younger me, to a younger audience, and then also encourage those that are in the sport. So for that one, um, it that one was kind of tried and true. But in my um, researching about children's books, once again, the statistics about children's books um, of people that show people of color um, has influenced me to continue to write additional books. And so, yes, I have some additional books in the works, um, which I'm really excited about. Ha <laughs> Um, and Dragon Boat is one of them. Um, so um, there is a group in Racine um, who I've trained with and done some Dragon Boat racing with. Um, basically, it's a boat with a drummer in the front, and um, you are using paddles and you're racing against other boats. Um, so it's really pretty. I, I joined that sports to increase my upper strength. I thought it would be a cool way to do it. And um, who doesn't want to do something? something that has dragons in it, <laughs> dragon boat racing. And so, yeah, so I think um, it's something to, once again, introduce people to um, not your standard football, soccer, you know, basketball. There are other sports out there that people are doing, like um, Haley and Alyssa, what you guys are doing. So people need to know about that. And they also need to see um, themselves represented in those sports. And so I'm excited about being able to um, provide um, that through sports that um, are kind of underrepresented and uh, has an underrepresentation of minorities, um, but also just to explore explore the sport with other people. Dragon boat racing is actually um, really well known in Baltimore, where I I worked out of college for like ten years, I guess, in Baltimore. And dragon boat racing, like all the, the M and T Bank, when I worked at M and T Bank, we had dragon boat team, and it was like a big thing every other. They had it every other summer. And the big corporations and stuff in, in the city would put together um, teams. And it was like, I mean, head-to-head competition. People, T-Row Price got like very into it every every season. I remember the T-Row Price boat was like, not you don't mess with that boat. So that brings back some good memories. And it's exciting a lot. It is. The Baltimore Harbor is not necessarily a place you would want to go swimming in. So it was always like when teams would first start, the boats would tip and people would end up in the harbor. And it was... <laughs> But um, the dragon boat racing itself is actually, it's quite a sport. It is really fun to watch. You'll have to try it, Haley. 
<laughs> I know we don't have much dragon boat racing in Bozeman. I have, I have never, I have never seen a dragon boat out on our reservoir, <laughs> even when it's on. But maybe, maybe I'm missing out. Maybe I need to introduce it. <laughs> Let me get that book out too. <laughs> yes. I'll be anxiously awaiting the book. Yes. So Nia, we know if we go to your website at neatheauthor.com, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but there is a link to purchase the book on Amazon. Is that the best way for our listeners to buy the book and support you? Yeah, the best way really is to um, go to um, my website um, at neatheauthor.com. But um, I recently found out that now it's also being sold at Amazon, Walmart, and Barnes & Noble. Can you believe that? I'm just like, oh my goodness, my book is at Walmart. (laughs) Um, So there are other avenues and ways to get the book. Um, But yeah, you know, those are, um, any of those methods would be great. And I know you have a newsletter. I think you call it Nia's News. And in that, you you do talk about how, like, leaving reviews on sites like Amazon or yeah. Walmart or Barnes & Noble, I imagine, helps authors. Can you tell us, you know, just for our listeners who do want to help you out after they read it and they love it, they want to give it five stars, does that matter? Yes, it does. Um, buying the book off Amazon, yes, that would be great. And once you buy it, please leave a review. Please give your feedback. Um, the more reviews actually bring the um, book higher on the list when people go out there to um, find other children's books. Um, they you know, make mention of it and it helps with the advertising. It also gives legitimacy to the fact that you know, a thousand people have read this book and they've provided some feedback. So yes, um, I did this campaign of anyone who has purchased the book, um, especially through Amazon, is to leave a review. Um, it would be much appreciated. <laughs> well, we definitely want people to be leaving those reviews so that you can keep getting those best indie book awards for time to come for future books and everything like that. But Nia, thanks so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it and hope everyone runs out to get that book. Thank you for having me and feel free to find me um, once again on neatheauthor.com. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. (laughs) So thank you for having me, ladies. Haley, I've been doing some research on winter adventures and hiking, and guess what one of the most important gear pieces is for winter hiking? Hmm, a really warm coat, snowshoes, an ice axe? Okay, well, maybe those, but also sunscreen. It's not just a summer product, and that is why my Zelios Sun Barrier is still at the top of my pack. Thanks for the tip, Alyssa. If any of our listeners want to top off their hiking packs with Zilio's Sun Barrier or their gym bags with Zilio's Race Relief Recovery Gel, Swim and Sport Shower Products, or Betwixt Anti-Chafe Chammy Cream, use code IRONWOMEN for 20% off at teamzilios.com. I love what Nia talked about leaving a review for authors on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Walmart or wherever you get her book and how that actually does help. And so Alyssa, actually earlier today, I went onto Amazon and I did leave a five-star review for I am a triathlete and I wrote a little blurb. So hopefully it's up there. Hopefully it helps with the algorithm and bumps that book up on that children's book um, list so everyone else can find that goodness uh, easily, but thanks to Nia for, for the whole conversation, but also for that tidbit on how it, how it does help. That's going to be something I do a little bit more of going forward. I think in 2021, leaving more reviews for people, for authors that I appreciate and just taking the time to do that. I love that. And if anyone wants to leave us a rating or a review, we would love that as well. And you can do that on your podcast app of choice, Um, like we've now said, it does really help with the algorithms and helps keeping getting our content out there. So we would appreciate that as well. And also don't forget until the 31st with the code IRONWOMEN, you can get an extra 15% off of the Zelios buy one, get one free race relief deal. Head to teamzelios.com. Alyssa, enjoy your marathon training. I, um, you know, 200 sound fun, but I'm always excited to hear what you have. So next week, hopefully you have another story for us, but keep, enjoy your adventure race this weekend too. I forget that. That's probably your big workout this week. So good luck to you. Nine hours of fun in the woods. Thanks Haley. I'm sure I'll come out of that with a story or two. So I'll talk to you next week. 
You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Prevenix, Zelio Skincare, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear. You can find all websites and discount codes in our show notes at ironwomenpodcast.com.